That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Though shepherding was the most ancient profession of God's people, the Israelites, it was not a particularly desirable one. It was a dirty job, and according to the Bible, it was considered detestable in cultures like Egypt. When considering the shepherds of the Christmas story, the shepherds stood for the average Judean, quite literally, the man on the night shift. Shepherds had a difficult job that earned no rank in society. Yet, God chose shepherds to receive the glorious angelic announcement of the birth of Christ. Jesus didn't come for the rich, or the elite, or the healthy. He came for those who understood their need of the Savior. Well, here we are, week six of seven messages about the Word made flesh. And uh, I just want to just reminisce here a little bit. Uh, when I was a boy, uh, we, I and, and my friends were always part of some kind of a Christmas pageant. Either it was at school or it was at church. Now, some of you are old enough to remember when school still had Christmas pageants. They don't have them anymore, but uh, you'll remember what it's like. We uh, we get everybody together. We give them a, a a shepherd costume, an angel costume, or their Mary or Joseph, and then there was always somebody's old doll that was baby Jesus. And it was usually the boys who had ADHD or were jokers or had no interest in being in a pageant that were made shepherds. You know what I'm talking about. It was just the, the kids that were there that, that uh, had, to, had to be part of it, but they didn't really want to be part of it. Now, here's what I know. If you want to be a shepherd, it's really quite easy. All you need is your dad's bathrobe, and all you need is a towel. You put that on your head, and then get a hockey stick, turn it upside down, and you're, voila, you're a a shepherd. Well, I can't tell you how many times I was a shepherd, and uh, I was definitely one of those boys that didn't want a speaking part. I just wanted to observe. Well, here's the thing. The shepherds in the Christmas story were anything but passive observers, uh, these, these shepherds had a very important responsibility, caring for the sheep that would be used for sacrifices in the temple. But these shepherds were chosen by God. They were chosen as the first ones to receive or to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first ones to hear the good news about the birth of Jesus. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the importance of Bethlehem and the importance of the shepherds. And, and why does God choose Bethlehem? Why does God choose the shepherds? So I'd like you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're looking at verses 1 to 20. And it goes like this. At the time, 
At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born in Bethlehem this day in the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And for those of you who are more familiar with the King James Version, those strips of cloth are the swaddling clothes. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So just get the picture. Joseph and Mary have traveled a long journey from Nazareth. They have come to, to Bethlehem the birthplace of their ancestors. Mary is nine months pregnant. She's ready to give birth at any moment. And then, in fact, no sooner does she get to Bethlehem, and you know the story, she gives birth. Now, the problem is, of course, there is no, there's no inn. There's no place for them to go. So here's what, we, here's what you need to know about the, about the manger. It's not it's not the manger that is featured in our graphic for this series, but the manger looks more like this. It's really a, a carved out chunk of stone is what it is. And, uh, and that carved out chunk of stone would hold hay or feed for the sheep. It also would hold water. It couldn't be knocked over. And uh, uh, there's a few things I just want to point out to you about the manger. The manger is very common in Israel. You can find it just about anywhere all over Israel, in fact, throughout the Middle East. It's a, common, it's a common thing used by shepherds to take care of their animals. And it was in one of these 
carved out stones that the baby Jesus would have been laid. The other thing I want you to see is that uh, the word that's translated in was in fact probably a guest room. It was, it was just really any place for a, somebody who was on a journey to go and sleep for the night. And because of all the people who were in town, because of the, of the census, remember people were coming in from all over to return to their ancestral home, there just wasn't any room left. And so there they were uh, out, out in the area where the animals would have been. But I'll talk more about that in just a few moments. And then the final thing I want you to see is that Jesus was, wa- was, was, uh, was wrapped in these swaddling cloths, these strips of cloth that would hold him secure and make him feel uh, warm and feel uh, safe. Now, I want to just talk now about the birth of Jesus and the place where he was born. Remember, first of all, that God has been silent for 400 years. In the book of Malachi, we, we see the, the last word from God for the children of Israel. In the book of Malachi, uh, Malachi tells us that somebody is coming, his name is, is Elijah, and Jesus identifies who Elijah, in fact, is, and it's John the Baptist. Jesus says that himself. And so imagine this. Israel has not heard from God for 400 years. Every day for 400 years, they're praying and asking God to send them the Messiah. God, send your anointed one. Come and protect us. Come and help us. Come and surround us with your love. And God has been silent for 400 years, and then suddenly something amazing happens. The angels appear to the shepherds. And, and it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, verse 9, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And then it says, then the angel said to them, uh, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the first thing I want you to see is that the the angels are the first one to, to do evangelism. They're the first ones to pronounce the gospel. And it's a gospel that brings with it great joy. So everybody understands that. What, what, by the way, is the gospel? You hear me talk about that all the time. The gospel, in a nutshell, is Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Does everybody understand that? If, if a sermon does not include Jesus in it, if a sermon does not include what Jesus Christ has done for us, then you cannot call that sermon a gospel sermon. Does everybody understand that? The good news, the gospel, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is good news for all people, and I want you to see that it does say for all the people. It's not just for Jewish people. And some people have this notion that Christianity is a Western religion, and you'll see pictures of Jesus painted as a white European. But in fact, Jesus was not a white European. He was a little Jewish boy. He was a Middle Eastern boy. And so everybody needs to understand that this Jesus who was born to the Jewish people is a Jesus that is for all people, regardless of what country you're from or what race you are, what color your skin is. Everybody understand that. 
The gospel is for the whole world. And this is why when we read in the book of Revelation, it says people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue will be gathered around the throne giving glory and praise to Jesus Christ. Everybody understands this. So what we have here then is the angels foretelling what is to come. The gospel is for all people. And I want you to see also that it says that that. The Savior who is going to be born is none other than Christ, who is the Messiah. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Because many of you have read through this, you've read through it quickly, and you haven't really taken time to really meditate on or reflect on what you're reading. For 400 years, the people have been praying and crying out to God, send us the Messiah. And now here are the angels reporting to the shepherds that the Messiah has finally come. God has broken 400 years of silence. God has come among us. Are you getting the significance of this? Huge, huge news. Now, I want you to see that that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Why is he born in Bethlehem? Well, we read in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that in fact, this is the place where Jesus is to be born. And God says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. And we've been talking about that. We talked about that in message number one about Jesus the Messiah, the ruler that was, that was prophesied about by Jacob himself in the book of Genesis. Jesus is here. He's the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old and from the ancient days. So let me just quickly point out something to you. Two weeks ago, we talked about the Magi. Remember, the Magi from Persia have come to, to Jerusalem. They've, they've come to Herod. They want to know, where is this baby? Where is this baby who is born, who's going to be king of the Jews? Herod hasn't got a clue, but he knows who will know, and that is the teachers of the law. So he goes to the scribes and he says, where will the Messiah be born? And they know instantly because Micah tells us this almost 700 years before Jesus' birth. Micah 5.2, it's going to be born in Bethlehem. This is very good news. Now, and, I, and this is really important, I want you to see that, that Messiah, Jesus Christ, is called the one who comes from of old, from of ancient days. Did you know the ancient, the ancient of days is another name for God? Jesus Christ is not just a man. He is God himself who has been born to us. This is why we are so dogmatic about this. Jesus Christ is not just a human being. He is 100% God and 100% man. All of us need to understand this. This is why you may remember I told you about St. Nicholas, who, who was not just a jolly, jolly old uh, St. Nick, but he was uh, a St. Nicholas who stood up for the honor of Jesus Christ when a bishop by the name of Arius was trying to suggest that Jesus was not God. Nicholas went over to him and slapped him across the face. A lot of people don't know that about St. Nick, but jolly old St. Nick. 
He stood up for the honor of Jesus Christ. Nobody's going to suggest that Jesus Christ is anything less than what Micah says he is. He is the Ancient of Days. He is God. And only God, as you know, is able to take away our sin. And that's who Jesus is. So you need to understand that about the birth of Jesus the Messiah. It fulfills the prophecy of Micah 5.2. The second thing I want you to see about Bethlehem is that Bethlehem means Bet, Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. Does everybody know that? Bethlehem means a house of bread. Here's what Jesus himself calls himself. He calls himself the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. Folks, listen to me. Jesus Christ is the only one that can bring contentment, or as we were just talking about earlier, is the only one that can bring peace to your heart. Blaise Pascal in 1670, he said that basically, essentially what he's saying is that there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every human that, that was created by God to be filled only by God. This is what he's saying. And so here's what you need to know. Jesus is essentially saying the, saying the same thing. All of us understand what it is to hunger. All of us understand what it is to thirst. We're satisfied when we have something to eat. We're satisfied when we have something to drink. But that satisfaction lasts only just a short period of time. For some, for some people, it lasts longer than it does for other people. Some are eating every hour on the, other, on the hour. Others, it can last for maybe a couple of hours. And some people can actually last from lunch to supper. But uh, the fact is, is that we, we're hungry again. We're thirsty again. Jesus comes along and says, I've come that you will never hunger and never thirst again. Now, obviously, people didn't really understand what he was saying. Jesus speaks these words right after he does the great miracle of multiplying the bread and the fish. Some of you remember that story. And after Jesus does that miracle, he feeds the people. The people now are following him everywhere. They want to go wherever he goes. They want to see what he's going to do. They want to know, what, what's the next miracle that Jesus is going to do for me? But Jesus makes it clear that there is a greater need, and it's a spiritual need. There's a spiritual longing within each of us that only Jesus Christ himself can fulfill. And so you need to see that Jesus Christ of Bethlehem, of the house of bread, is in fact the bread of heaven who will ultimately satisfy you, give you contentment, give you peace, will give you fulfillment like nobody else can or like nothing else can. Now, if you are a person who's converted today, you've put your faith in Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Those of you who have not yet been converted, you'll find yourself still looking for something to fill that emptiness in your heart. And you know the things that we turn to. We turn to all sorts of things, to drugs, to sex, to alcohol, to, to, to social media. We can't stay off of it. We need to be connecting. We need to be talking to people. We need to be, we need to be trying to fill that hole in our heart. And Jesus says, I'm the only one that can fill that hole in your heart. Somebody say amen to that. Only Jesus Christ can fill that hole. So Jesus Christ from the house of bread is, in fact, the bread of heaven. Now, 
The other thing we see about Bethlehem is that Bethlehem was a place where sheep were kept for sacrifice, for the temple sacrifices. Some people believe that the shepherds that we find in Bethlehem were, in fact, Levitical shepherds. I, I, I could not find enough information to, to say this with, with total confidence that this is true. But what I do know is that these, these shepherds, although they may or may not have been Levitical shepherds, we do know that they were shepherds who were, in fact, responsible to provide lambs for the sacrifice at the temple. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, you know that Bethlehem is only about four or five miles away from Jerusalem. It's, it's very close distance. And so it was in the fields of Bethlehem that the shepherds would have cared for these lambs that would be taken to the temple for sacrifice. Can I remind everybody of something? Jesus Christ was called by none other than his cousin John, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Bethlehem was the place where lambs were birthed for sacrifice. Now, what was that sacrifice all about? Why did they sacrifice? Well, the fact of the matter is, the Bible says that we are sinners. It's God himself who set up this sacrificial system to atone for, or that is to cover our sins. It didn't take away our sins, but it, it, it protected us from the wrath of God. You need to see that. The fact that Jesus is born in Bethlehem is Jesus Christ identifying with the lambs that were sacrificed. It's very important to understand that. Jesus is not just any old baby. He's a baby that is born to take away our sin. This is the story of Christmas. And so we love to sing these warm and cuddly, uh, these, these sentimental hymns and songs about the baby Jesus, no, no crying he makes. I believe that Jesus would have made a lot of crying. I think Jesus was a normal baby, absolutely normal in the sense that he was 100% human. But understand that this cute, precious little baby boy was born to die. Born to die for you and for me. Jesus Christ came to be the replacement for these sacrifice, those sacrificial lambs. In fact, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was the final sacrifice once and for all. After the sacrifice of Christ, we didn't need to do any more sacrifices. And this is why we find in AD 70 that the temple was destroyed. It was not necessary anymore because we had the sacrificial lamb. His name is Jesus, and he is the one who takes away our sin. Very important to understand this. So Jesus was born among the lambs who atoned for sin. Jesus was in his element. That's, that's what he was born to do, just like the other lambs that were born in Bethlehem. Now, here's something that I discovered in my studies. Um, on the edge of the field surrounding uh, Bethlehem, where most of these sheep were born, there's a two-story stone tower called the Migdal Eder, or the Tower of the Flock. The tower is mentioned in the book of Micah in chapter 4, verse 2. Now, I'm not saying Malachi, I'm saying Micah. I just quoted to you from Micah chapter 5, but now I'm quoting to you from Micah chapter 4. In Micah chapter 4, verse 8, in the New American Standard Bible, it says, As for you, Tower of the Flock... 
And it, I'm not saying this is the, 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 the tower of the flock, but it would be something like this. As for you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come. Even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. This tower would be the place where shepherds could keep watch over their flocks by night. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that it's hilly there, and it's, it's hard to get a bird's-eye view of everything. You needed to have a tower or something that you could climb up into so that you could see what's going on. In fact, this tower of the flock is actually mentioned in the Mishnah. Uh, one, of the, one of the rabbis gives clear instructions about the use of the tower of the flock and the sheep that surround it. So some scholars believe that Jesus could have actually been born right here in this tower of the flock, the Migdal Eater, and that this is why the shepherds found it so easy to find Jesus. Now think about that. The, shepherd, the shepherds are out there caring for the sheep. The angel comes along. It says, it said, the Savior's born. Uh, he, he'll, be, he'll, be, he'll be swaddled in, in, in cloths, strips of cloth, and he'll be laid in a manger. That'll be the sign for you. How would they know where to go? How would they know what house to go to? I mean, it would, be, it would literally take all, all evening and maybe take a couple of days to find it. That is, of course, if they knew exactly where to look. And this is the place where, where some scholars believe that the shepherds would have taken these baby lambs. Now, this is where it really gets amazing and interesting. These sacrificial lambs had to be spotless. That is, they had to be perfect without blemish, uh, they, they could not be scratched. They, 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 were not, they could not be left just to roam around in the field like the rest of the sheep in case something happened to them. So, so some scholars believe that what would happen is that these, these special lambs that were spotless, that were perfect, without blemish, without deformity, without any kind of scratches on them, they would be picked up and then swaddled with cloths to keep them, to keep them spotless, keep them pure, keep them whole, so that they would be ready for sacrifice. Now, I want you to hear what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, because Paul describes the perfect Lamb of God like this. He says, for our sake, that's for you and me, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What is, what is Paul saying here? He's saying Jesus, who is the, the perfect Lamb of God, without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, without sin, who is, is perfect in every way, was the one that became sin on our behalf. Do you get this? Jesus Christ, the perfect little Lamb of God, would take upon himself our sin and would be sacrificed on our behalf so that we might have the righteousness of God. That is the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. Very, very important that you understand this, because this, my friends, is what the Christmas story is all about. So some scholars believe that these baby lambs wrapped in swaddling clothes would keep them safe until the time of sacrifice. Now here's what, here's what the angel says to these shepherds, and this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You have, to, you have to assume then that it was not a normal thing to wrap a baby, first of all, in swaddling clothes, especially if those swaddling clothes were meant for little baby lambs. 
But secondly, you certainly wouldn't see a little baby in a manger, a feeding trough. But the angel says, this is the sign. This is how you will know who Jesus is. This is how you will know that you have, in fact, found the Savior, the Messiah. But more than that, it's not just a sign of who Jesus is, but it's a sign of what Jesus was born to do. Like the other little babies, baby lambs that were born for sacrifice, Jesus is born for sacrifice as well. So they immediately would have understood the significance of this special sign. We, we know what, he's, what it's going to look like when we see him, and we also are going to understand what he was born to do. Does everybody understand this today? You need to understand this, or you will not ever understand the story of Jesus Christ and his birth. Now, the next thing I want to point out to you is that Jesus is, in fact, the Lamb of God. I want, I want you to get this clear in your mind and what this means. Jesus' cousin, John, John the Baptist, a lot of you maybe didn't know that John was the cousin to Jesus. John was out in the wilderness. This is now, we're looking 30 years into the future. Jesus was out, or John was out baptizing people in the wilderness, and then suddenly Jesus showed up at this mass baptism. People were being convicted of their sin. Remember, for 400 years, there's silence, and suddenly God is doing miracles. He's appearing to Zechariah. Through, uh, through the angel Gabriel, and, and Zechariah and his wife have a baby, and the baby's name is, is John, which means what? means Yah is gracious. What is Yah? We, we sing hallelujah. Yah means God. God is gracious. Remember that? Well, here we have John the Baptist, who takes one look at Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, how did Jesus know that Jesus, how did John know that Jesus was the Lamb of God? Well, let me, let me just give you a hint here. It says, and when, and when the shepherds saw the baby Jesus, they made known the saying that he had been, to, that had been told them concerning this child. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told him. John would have heard throughout his whole life about the birth of Jesus, born like a sacrificial lamb. And so as soon as he saw Jesus, he saw Jesus as that one that was swallowed in clothes and in a manger and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Absolutely astonishing. Now again, 400 years of silence 400 years, God is not saying anything through any prophet anywhere. And suddenly, the shepherds are saying and proclaiming to everybody, hey, everyone, Messiah is here. Jesus is here. The one that we've been praying about and asking God to send us for, for 400 years is finally here. He's here. And the shepherds when they heard the news from the angels, they simply believed. They believed what the shepherd said, or what the angels said. They, they just had a simple faith. Now, I just want to point something out to you right now. Evangelism, for some people, just seems so difficult, so hard to do. But I want you to see how easy it was for the angels to come along and say, good news, Jesus is born. 
Jesus is the one who takes away our sin. And what do the, what do the shepherds do? Well, basically, they do the same thing. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, is Christ the Lord. They went out repeating these very words of the angels. Jesus is here. This is the simple gospel evangelism. Jesus Christ is here to take away your sins. Now, some of you sitting here today are maybe feeling a little overwhelmed by your sin, and you wonder, can God ever forgive me for my sin? And the good news is there's no sin here that Jesus cannot take care of. No matter what your past, no matter what you've done, no matter what you did last night, Jesus is able and is sufficient to deal with all of your sin and all of my sin. So evangelism is not difficult. You just simply tell people the good news that Jesus is the one who saves us from our sin. But you know, in, in the year 2021, we've become really quite sophisticated. We are, we're worried about presenting a Christianity uh, that maybe is unpalatable. And so some churches, they won't talk about sin. They don't want to offend anybody. They won't talk about hell. They don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to talk about the shed blood of Jesus. They don't want to talk about a sacrificial system. Why? Because it is offensive to us. It offends our sensibilities. And this is what the Apostle Paul said. The gospel offends everybody, Jew and Gentile alike. Jew and everybody else is offended by this gospel. But what you need to understand is that the gospel message is God's plan to save humanity. You need to understand that. So stop trying to be the Holy Spirit and stop trying to to present Christianity in a way that's palatable. Just tell us the story. Tell us the good news. Tell us what Jesus Christ did for us. He died to take away your sins. And if you are an honest person, you'll understand you're that person that needs Jesus Christ to take away your sin. I know, my friends, that as soon as I heard the gospel message as just a young boy, just eight years old, I knew I was the one that needed Jesus to take away my sin. Do you understand today that you are the one that needs Jesus to take away your sin. And the good news of the gospel is Jesus is here and Jesus is able and willing to do it. All you have to do is call out to him and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I am a sinner. Wash away my sin. And Jesus will will accept you as his very own. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus came to reconcile God to man, and man to God. Very important you understand that. But listen, folks, let's, let's just stop trying to be seeker sensitive. Just, let's stop trying to make it all palatable. It's not palatable. You need to see that sin is an ugly thing. It's a horrible thing. It's so horrible that God said that we would die because of our sin. Do you understand that today? That's how horrible sin is. God is a holy God. He's pure and sacred, and nothing unholy can come into his presence. The only way that you and I can be reconciled to God and come into his presence is that our sins are washed away. And this is why we read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with what? Blood. 
And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we have to talk about the sacrificial lamb. We have to talk about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. And we have to talk about the fact that Jesus shed his blood for us. It's the only way our sins can be washed away. I'm sorry if I'm offending you today, but not really. Because the thing that may offend you is a thing that will also save you. So if you put your faith in Jesus... I know some are thinking, what kind of a bloodthirsty God would require such a thing? We can't, how do we serve a God like this? Can I remind everybody of something today? We talk about the love of God and that God is love. This is what we read in 1 John. But what you have to understand is God is also good. And because he's good, it requires justice. God cannot wink or ignore your sin. He has to deal with it because he's a God of justice. And so that's why he sends his own son. Now, can I just remind everybody of something? Because I know I can hear people saying, what kind of a God would, would, would kill his own son? Can I just remind you of something? Jesus is God. And Jesus says, nobody takes my life. I lay my life down. I give my life. Did you get that? Jesus gave his life for you and for me. Nobody took it from him. This is why when we read about Jesus going to the cross, it does not say that he was dragged, kicking and screaming. No, he was led to the slaughter. It's something he was willing to do. He was willing to go to the cross for you. This was his choice. Do you understand that today? Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. God is not a bloodthirsty God. What he is is a just God, and he demands that there is a payment for sin. Because of his justice. So don't apologize for God and don't soft pedal the message of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Let God reveal himself with the true and the full story of redemption. Understand that it happens according to God's plan and not according to our plan. Just tell people the good news. Your sins are removed through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is the gospel. And today, I can tell you that I know I'm going to heaven. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have been reconciled to God. Why, because I never sin anymore? No, far from it. Because you're such a good person, Pastor Ellen? No, it's not because of that. Well, how do you know, Pastor Ellen, your sins are forgiven? I'll tell you why, because... The Bible tells me that I need to put my faith in the one who became sin on my behalf so that I may receive his righteousness. Here's what happens when you become a Christian. When you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus transfers to you his his righteousness. You put it on like a coat. It's a covering. This is why we call it atonement. You're covered with Christ's righteousness. And when God looks at you, what he sees is not your sin. He sees his own son, Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you. Now I want to just close with this. The angel came to the shepherds and told them the good news about the coming of the Savior. And then suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven 
and on earth peace to those whom his favor, on, on whom his favor rests. I want you to stop and consider that for a moment. Because one of the things you're going to see in, in people's windows and on the walls and it's everywhere, it's, you're going to see words like peace and joy and, and happiness for, and goodwill towards all men. That is not what the angels are saying here. God's favor does not rest on all humanity. God's favor rests on those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. You need to understand that today. We have a very uh, sentimental view of Christmas and a sentimental view of who God is and the way that he works. But if you want God's favor to rest upon you, then you're going to have to put your faith in the Lamb of God, whose name is Jesus. Born in a manger and proclaimed by the shepherds, the very shepherds who prepare little lambs to be taken to the, to the temple in Jerusalem for sacrifice. This is, this is what Jesus was born to do. And my friends, I'm going to tell you quite bluntly, if you don't put your faith in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, if you don't put your, your faith in Jesus Christ, you are still in your sin and you are still under the judgment and the wrath of God. But the good news, the gospel of Christmas, is that there is someone who has come to take away your sin. His name is Jesus. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray? Father, we thank you right now that the peace that the shepherds heard that the angels sang is a peace that comes to us who put our faith in Christ. This is the story of redemption. And this is really what the whole Bible is, from Genesis to Revelation. Because of sin, Adam and Eve were cast out of your presence. They were cast out of the Garden of Eden. And thousands of years later, all who put their faith in Jesus Christ will be welcomed back into the very presence of God, into that place called Eden. Father, we thank you today for our Savior. We thank you that you sent us Jesus Christ as a little sacrifice slam. We thank you today that Jesus was not forced to do this. It's something that he chose to do because of his great love for us. Father, let our hearts, our minds be filled with joy, with thanksgiving, with gladness as we think of what Jesus has done for us. And so, God, we commit ourselves to you now thanking you that the message of Christ is not an accident. The prophecies of Christ's coming go back hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years before Jesus came to this earth because this was your eternal plan right from the beginning. And we thank you that Jesus came willingly and in great love he came to lay down his life for us. Father, thank you. And I pray to this morning, Lord, if there's anybody here who has not yet put their faith in Christ, let this be the day of surrender to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Let this be the best Christmas ever. Let this be the Christmas when people here today receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said it with me? Tell the person beside you, Jesus is the reason for the season.